to The Truth in His Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I'm in conversation with the director of retail operations for Firefly Farms and the general manager of Firefly Farms Market Baltimore. Please welcome Jesse Galston. Thank you, Rob. Excited to be here. Yeah. Um, again, appreciate you coming on, being able to spin a yarn with me. And before we get too, too deep into the podcast, I want to start off by, you know, allowing people to talk about themselves. I think that's a, a thing that I, I realized that people enjoy, either enjoy talking about themselves or they hate talking about themselves. But let's frame it in a way. Um, could you tell us about your your growing up and kind of ultimately um, one of your first experiences that uh, kind of led you into this kind of realm of food and beverage? I see an interesting background there for you, but I want to start off there. Sure, sure. So um, I... <laughs> I think of myself as someone who uh, I ended up a relatively unique individual, but I, the kind of broad strokes of my background have a certain, uh, I wouldn't necessarily cl- say cliche, but like it's right out of central casting. When people ask me where I'm from, I just say I'm your quintessential uh, Upper West Side liberal Jew type. Um, and it's <laughs> You know, it's very on the nose. I, you know, I, I went to high school with a Zabar. Um, so it's, you know, it's very, very Upper West Side. And I think it goes even further than that from kind of even the grandparent, great-grandparent generation down. It's like most of my great-grandparents were Jewish immigrants from Europe, mm-hmm. mostly Eastern Europe, a little bit of Sephardic Judaism, you know, like Portugal vibes. Um, mm-hmm. But then they were successful enough to where their kids had good enough jobs, my grandparents, to move out to the live the suburban dream in Long Island and Westchester, respectively. And then my parents, like many of their generation, decided, oh, man, we actually love the city. Let's go back to the city after college. And they just stayed. So, um, But I mean, yeah, it's a very New York story. It's like even down to the fact that, you know, I came from a reasonably well-to-do privileged background, kind of went to a rich white people type of high school was one of the least wealthy people paying full tuition, but also it's a rich white people high school, right? Um, Right. You got to understand where you're coming from, but even there, you know, (laughs) my parents wouldn't be able to afford the apartment they own now if they had to buy it. Oh, wow. Very New York. Wow. It's very New York. You meet, if you meet people from New York, it's I think a reasonably common story in the broad stroke. So, that's the the broad spectrum background. My dad's a songwriter. My mom is a speech pathologist, a, oh, wow. specializing in pediatric speech pathology. Yeah, she's a boss, um, <laughs> as is my dad. I think if you know anyone who makes a living really to support themselves doing music or most creative endeavors, mm-hmm. you should respect them on a very deep level. That's a firm opinion I have about life, having met a lot of musicians in my time. Um, I but my life in food, um, I started out as an insanely picky eater. My parents were actually reasonably adventurous eaters before I was born and through my life. But I kind of curtailed my family's eating to a certain extent because I was absurdly picky. Um, honestly, I would say I was on the picky end of the spectrum into my mid-20s. Certainly when my wife and I got together in college, she kind of helped me learn to like vegetables, love vegetables. I had a very thin line. I didn't didn't even eat salad regularly until I was in my mid to late 20s. I didn't like cheese besides pizza until I was about 25. 
And <laughs> wow. now I am a cheesemonger. Um, so <laughs> yeah, uh, it was just little by little starting in my mid teens. I started to really expand my horizons and it was kind of a pretty straight line on the graph upward incline of liking more and more foods. It just took yeah. me a long time to catch up once I started to do that, but I always loved to eat. I just love to eat a very small number of foods and they were basically fried chicken product, pizza, <laughs> things doused in Frank's red hot. And you put that S on everything. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah. So the, that was, those were my main food groups. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, but I always loved to eat. My dad had a collaborator he worked with for years who would constantly say that he would pay to watch me eat because I just <laughs> loved it so much. Um, so yeah. Um, I, I would say, I think the like inner fat person is a reductive <laughs> facile cliche, yeah. but I also literally used to eat myself sick. Oh no. Like I would, I would be like, Oh my God, I need like a hot compress on my stomach. I'm in pain because I couldn't <laughs> control myself when I loved things. So, I, I, re, I remember yeah. this 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 bit. I forget the comedian. He, he was talking about he's eaten himself out of breath before, and I was like, "Look, I'm a larger person. I've never done that. I'm very conscious about what I eat. However, if there are certain things that I like, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to get a little loose on it. And I'm a I'm a fan of cheese. I'm a fan of cheese. So yeah. we're, we're, we're going to talk we're going to talk about um, a little bit. Let's talk about. Um, Let's talk about Firefly, Firefly uh, Farms Baltimore. Uh, let's talk about the market. Sure. Let's, yeah, give us yeah. The, the rundown for those who are undipped, unfamiliar with it. Describe like what you do ultimately and what the whole like setup the market is about. Sure. So uh, we are a stall in an indoor market in a redeveloped mill in the Jones Falls Valley. So we are on Clipper Mill Road in one of these historically listed mill buildings. And we're um, one of several stalls in what's called Whitehall Market. Um, it's a really, really cool space. It's absolutely beautiful. The landlord did an amazing job with the build-out. They kind of purpose-built all the stalls for us. Um, so it's a beautiful start with it's a beautiful, beautiful space. And you're right on the water. It has one of my favorite places to eat in the city, which is a little picnic table on a deck that's actually over the water. So nice. it's quite magical. Um and we started as a cut-to-order cheese shop. So cut-to-order cheese and meat. So we cut what size piece of cheese you want. You can taste almost anything in the store unless it's something that's vacuum-sealed. And even then, probably we can make it work if we really need to. We price everything by the pound. But you can tell me, oh, wait, you can come in and say, oh, I want one finger. Or you can say, oh, I'm having... You know, my last customer before I went home today was, oh, we're having it's four adults and a toddler were having grilled cheeses so i can give you some guidance on what i think you should buy kind of thing mm -hmm. um same thing with the meat um we have cheese focused sandwiches we make personal sized cheese boards which is kind of like the cool cheese plate that you would get at a bar or restaurant we make cheese platters which are more kind of thing you see on instagram that looks amazingly cute for a large group of people um, and then we have a massive selection of um, dry goods, gourmet dry goods of various sorts from across the world. A small amount of refrigerated things, but we don't have as much fridge space 
as we want and the drinks take up most of that. Um, but so, you know, everything we started as originally just things that go with cheese pretty specifically mm-hmm. and kind of the most out there we got was like, Oh, we have a little bit of farro, but to me, I'm, if I'm making farro, I'm putting cheese in it. So in my mind, that makes sense. <laughs> We've gradually loosened that a little bit yeah. where we have a couple more things that in my mind are, maybe associated with fine food, cheese and meat things, but aren't mm-hmm. truly necessarily cheese accompaniment um, or primarily that. And then over relatively early on, about uh, about five, four months after we opened, um, the market got a liquor license. Um, mm-hmm. And because it was COVID, due to the state of emergency, we actually could sell package, even though it was an on-premise license, we could sell bottle wine, like whole bottle wine, whole bottle um, beer, et cetera. That went so well, we decided to buy a package license and we now have a, we expanded into the stall next to us. So now we have an entire stall that's just a wine shop. I've purchased wine from there before. So I, 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 here's the thing, like, I really like the stand like a lot. I whenever I go to Whitehall, that's one of the stands that I pop over to either to get maybe a sandwich, either to get cheese or even go next door and and get a bottle of wine or what have you. And that's ultimately how this whole thing came together, I believe. I talked to <laughs> maybe the dude there and I was like, who who runs the stand? Like can I can I get like this guy's information? Can I can I like can contact? Oh, can I, I, well, I love that. I'm I'm always happy to hear that that someone had a positive experience at the stall because my foremost principle in this is having good food is the and drink is the bare minimum. Really, it's do you walk away with a smile on your face? It's a hospitality business, one hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm very glad I, to hear that. Yeah, totally. And I, and I think you know more than ever it, it has to be a bit more of a focus around that like i don't want anyone ki- like you know like kissing up to me anything along those lines but you know i you know i want to go there and have good stuff that's that's a prereq and then you know like it's this acknowledgement of there there's a business people can be very uh discerning of where they put their money at so and i think 100%. some i think some people lost that i think some people lost that concept but let, I, let's I don't from, disagree with that yeah Let's let's rewind a little bit because I got some cheese questions. Sure. Um, sure. What does the what does a cheesemonger do? I mean, I have used the term cheesemonger sure. in com- comedic purposes, but what does a cheesemonger do? Sure. So, uh, you know, essentially, a monger is someone who is an expert in something and sells that thing. Roughly speaking, it tends to go with right a couple of things in our in our culture colloquially. Right, it's going to be yeah. fish or most likely cheese. Um, I'm, I, sh- I will admit I'm not, I'm not as up on the etymology as maybe I should be, but I think of it as I am your cheese expert in multiple ways, both in terms of knowing about the cheese, who made it, where it comes from, what's in it, how it's made, um, but also practically, like, how do you cut this cheese? How do you store this cheese? How would you use this cheese at home? What is a portion size, et cetera? Obviously, there are subjective aspects to all of these things. But I make sure that that I and hopefully our entire staff who monger to people have a lockdown on these basics. I dig it. So, you know, I'm going to be a little self-serving here. And also we have to drop gems. You mentioned uh, one of the last uh, your your last customer of the day was it was a it was a grilled cheese hunt. Mm -hmm. Yep. What would you say? Like somebody knows nothing about cheese, like. 
What is the ideal cheese for like a standard grilled cheese as far as like the cheeses that are are at the stall? And um, what is a more out there sort of like grilled cheese that you've actually made? You're like, you know what? I'll do this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So for me, the standard grilled cheese, generally, I think of one of two things. I'm either thinking cheddar or I'm thinking alpine cheese. Alpine cheese is kind of a group of cheeses that roughly all follow the style that was originated in the Alps. The most kind of thing, kind of classic examples would be Gruyere or Comte. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a great, relatively kind of young Gruyere. I think it's perfect. The younger ones aren't as, they don't have as intensive a flavor necessarily, but also they will melt better. Um, and so I think if you're someone who's thinking, cheese and pickle always like some people are like it's not a grilled cheese without a pickle in it Mm. those people want to go alpine i think if you're more interested in a plainer grilled cheese i always think the acidity of a cheddar is Mm. really what you want right that that sharp that sharp quality that tanginess always is really what makes the cheese pop um in our stall what that means is we we chop and change our cheddars a fair bit particularly at the kind of high end Mm-hmm. Um, but at the at, at the entry level, we have what I think is far and away the best block cheddar that's made in America. It's Shelburne Farms cheddar. Um, they make multiple different age profiles. We carry the two-year. It's that perfect mix of acidity but also breadth of flavor. It's not like 15-year mm. age cheddar that <laughs> has been in a vacuum seal for years and years and just tastes sharp. It's Yes, it's aged in a vacuum seal, but also it's a single herd of cows in a single place that get mostly grass and hay that they're raw milk. So it's got some character to it beyond just um, supermarket cheddar, albeit I love supermarket cheddar. I've definitely been known (laughs) to smash a cabbage seriously sharp whenever, (laughs) but... Shelburne is, yeah, I, it, it has a special place in my heart. If you ever get the chance to go up there, I would strongly recommend a visit to the inn at Shelburne Farms. Um, okay. It's on an old Vanderbilt estate. And if you walk, you can walk out the back of the inn and you go down the steps and you're about 150 yards from an almost panoramic view of Lake Champlain. It's, it's oh, quite wow. magical. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Worth a visit. So that, yeah. that's, that um, that sounds in terms of out there stuff. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, in terms of out there, man, oh, I've done so many things. We used to, I used to, when I cheesemongered up in the Boston area, we, I used to teach, a. we called it a class. It wasn't truly a class, but it basically was a, a grilled cheese throwdown, And it would just be you versus another cheesemonger for fun. And customers would get between six or eight different grilled cheeses. Cause each person would make three or four. Um, mm-hmm. so Probably, let's see. Um, one of my favorite ones is the kind of a take on a classic Basque combination. You don't see it necessarily mm-hmm. as a grilled cheese in the actual Basque region, yeah. but it's what I think of as the classic Basque flavor. So you do uh, sheep's milk, semi-firm sheep's milk cheese, a, a brebi, although brebi is kind of like pecorino. It basically just means sheep or you. Mm-hmm. So it's, but that is a style from that region. Um sure. Like Osawarachi is the most famous one there. Um, so a sheep's milk is like a rich, unctuous, very fatty sheep's milk cheese, a cherry jam, and then a, a spicy pork salami made mm. with the famous Basque pepper piment espalette. So that's a favorite. Um, 
And then I've definitely done some really fun dessert grilled cheese with um, blue cheese and dark chocolate, which mm. I love. The awesome combination. If you've never done it, could not more highly recommend it, whether you melt it or not. So just like good sourdough, um, a blue cheese that has at least a little bit of sweetness to it, but you got a lot of options. I'm always yeah. a big Stilton or Stilton style guy, yeah. but you could do something as sweet as like a goopy gorgonzola dolce even if you wanted. Um, and then some, whatever your favorite good dark chocolate is, whether that has salt or not, I would recommend adding crunchy sea salt because crunchy sea salt makes everything better. You're, you're selling you're selling the ticket there because uh, you're speaking my language when it comes to one. I'm a I'm a huge like mark for blue cheese to the degree oh, where I, I remember I used to get a, a really like like this is when I was just living a glutton's life, but getting a really like extra large pizza and I would get something that I a combination that I loved but it was very specific. It was like spinach, broccoli, extra cheese, and blue cheese crumble. No one else was touching that. that pizza. It was delicious. And that that whole combination is I never think of the dessert and cheese other than maybe like a cheesecake or some type of Danish. I don't mm-hmm. really think of those two things as sweets, but dark chocolate is not sweet. So having like the sweetness come from a uh, a cheese or what have you, you, you're getting that unctuous, you're getting that fatty, that maybe a little tangy. And I know a lot of people who... They they like they they trust my culinary whatever, but they're like, nah, I don't like gorgonzola or blue cheese. It's like, well, you are missing out. Yeah, the it's a deep sadness when you <laughs> find out a friend doesn't like blue cheese. I will say. I mean, on the one hand, you know, great, more for you, but it's sad you can't share the blue cheese because I'm <laughs> with you. For me, blue cheese is every meal of the day. In fact, I will say probably. You know, I live the food life, so I have a Sunday. I have Sunday Monday as my day off. Um, regular weeks and I'd say probably 50% of my Mondays off when it's just me solo in the house doing errands I have blue cheese for lunch of some sort normally blue cheese on toast with jam or blue cheese with uh, we have these (laughs) we have a flavor of Tirali that I've never come across before Tirali's um, those little they kind of look like cracker like little tortellini crackers almost oh yeah yeah they're they're from Puglia. yeah it's a southern italian thing but they normally are plain or fennel or if you're getting a little weird with it like chili we have one that is um uh caramelized onion and sultana Mm. which i'd never even thought of but it is the most magical blue cheese pairing (laughs) i i I noticed you guys I noticed you guys have the, uh, I think it's these chips to these, uh, I think the Torres chips. Oh yeah. Those, those are the bomb or what have you. And you guys have the big bags. I've only seen the small ones. Yep. And literally whenever I go to a place that has them, I get them and it's just, I do the thing that, that one does at, um, what is it? The wine collective, the, the, the angry mm-hmm. bar fries with the, with the chili paste. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh huh. And a little of the Love aioli. That. Yeah. So, you, you touched on earlier about cheese cheese boards and things of that nature. And I know mm-hmm. that they can, they can be very intimidating and expensive. I will, yep. I've, I've gone to entertain just because my girlfriend wanted, needed to cheer up. She wanted to cheer up. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go there. I bought $200 worth of cheese just to make some bougie cheese place yep. for her. How, how would one start off by planning like a cheese board? Like you have foundational elements. It's like 
it's almost like doing fantasy football, right? Because we're coming up on that time. Yeah. It's almost yeah. that. It's like, who's your quarterback? How many running backs are you getting? What are your cheeses in that regard? Sure. So the first thing is, I would say there's no shame in paying someone else to make it for you. So we're <laughs> always happy to do that service. But there are other places you can do that, too. And that can be a very cost-effective way to do it as compared to buying it for yourself. Now, sure. that said, do I do that in my personal life? No, I don't. I always make my own. I'm one of the laziest cheese board makers in my personal life. I will say that. I just put big pieces of cheese on a board and I eat it. <laughs> I know a lot of people eat it with their eyes. I'm not one of them. It's controversial, <laughs> I know. I literally make these things for a living from time to time. But yeah. in all candor, that's not my go. Um, that said, I think if you are picking cheeses, um, in terms of the selection of cheeses, I always like to think um, of you kind of, uh, this is a weird metaphor. Have you ever played the game set? <laughs> no. The nerdy card game. <laughs> so you're trying to do like, basically it's, there's three types of shades, there's three colors, there's three gradations of shading, and you're trying to pair them and you kind of can go either all the same or all, or all different in any category. And this is a little bit the way I like to think about it. So you either want to do things that are quite similar along a certain dimension or quite different along a certain dimension. I lean towards the difference. Mm -hmm. So I'm normally thinking, okay, something that is soft, something that is firm to semi-firm, and then either something, if you did the semi-firm, something that's firm, or if you did the firm, maybe a blue. So you're getting diversity of styles. I gotcha. also like to think about diversity of milk types. So I'm normally going to try to go at least one, you know, I think the standard is cow cheese. That's most cheese. But I'm normally thinking at least one goat or sheep and maybe one of each. If I'm really going for it, I'm going to go one goat, one sheep, one cow. Um, so those are the two main ways I like to think about it is just diversity on the plate. Um, also you can also think visually though, right? Like if you're making a board, it is a visual medium in a certain way, even they're going to eat it at the end and you're going for a visual impact. So I would say, don't be too ashamed to choose based on the way it looks. If you like how it looks, you like how it looks. If you're at a good shop, all the cheeses are going to be tasty mm -hmm. and it's very rare that they're really going to be like, Oh, a perfect pair with each other. Right. It's mm -hmm. more going to be like you're eating one cheese at a time with one accompaniment. So you can always choose on, on visuals. Um, but yeah, I definitely plan in terms of soft uh, texture and, and milk type mainly. No, that, that's that's absolutely uh, something that I'm going to steal. Uh, I'm going to make myself look more ballery and I'm going to go there oh, yeah. because I'm very much I'm, I'm a food guy. And whenever there's we, we watch award shows. Right. So. I, you know, we'll do, I think the previous time we did like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to have this. It, I, I remember, um, I think it was the year that Prince passed away and I was like, I'm going to do a Prince 75. And she was like, what's, what's that? And I was like, I use that. Uh, it's basically a French 75, but I'm using the, uh, P gen that, that gen that looks purple. And love it. She was like, wow, you are, and I, I, I sent her a menu and I was like, it's a cheese board and involved as well. And she was like, you're really thinking this out. And I was like, oh no, this is, this is what I'm into. So I'm definitely going to be a person that makes my own board and definitely I'm stealing from you, which you just described. Yeah. So I got two more real questions for you before we get to those rapid fire questions. Um, so, you know, Firefly Farms, you know, the market, all of it has a great 
reputation? Like it, it, it's in those kind of best of lists, it's award winning like product. So how does inclusion in, in, in those sorts of publications and that sort of acknowledgement help or affect the business? Tell me about that. Yeah, I think um, thus far, at least just purely the retail business, is a little hard to tell. It kind of just happened. It's very exciting. It's extremely gratifying because obviously, unless you are just buried in foot traffic in any retail business, no matter how well it's going, there's this sense of you sometimes feel like you're shouting into the void just Mm. because it's easy to kind of compartment to kind of put aside the nice things that customers say to you on the day-to-day basis. Cause you think, Oh, well, that's just my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. So getting an award is a nice, is a nice thing. I would say in a certain way, not to minimize it, but less the award itself and more that it's great mental cue for you to sit with your staff and say, wow, we actually do a good job. Like let's appreciate ourselves <laughs> yeah. and feel good about what we do and kind of refocus on, on the good things that we do and, and feeling good about those things. Um, in terms of just how does it affect the bottom line? It's a little difficult to tell right now. We are in, we're just coming out of the dog days of summer to a certain extent and it, especially in cheese, but I think to a certain extent, most food things, um, that's just, that's the slowest time of the year. Um, it's very useful. We get a lot of planning done for what's our real busy season, which is fall and winter. Um, but I think TBD on the bottom line, um, we will see in terms of over the course of, of, of the kind of company, I, I think on the cheese making side, the awards are absolutely invaluable because when you are trying to scale from a very small thing to a more medium sized thing, winning national or world awards, gets the attention of the buyers who are running larger accounts. So gourmet grocers, chain stores, things like that. You know, if you win a world cheese award, if you win American cheese society awards year in and year out, um, even if it doesn't register at first, although it does eventually the weight of numbers really does convince people. So we've had some major advances in that space as a company, mainly due to the efforts of our cheese making team back in Deep Creek and our, uh, the sales team, which is, to be honest, at right now, mostly my boss and the owner of the company, but uh, was previously uh, an amazing, talented food professional named Christy Menard. They've really done the legwork mm-hmm. and those awards really do help as much as it's easy to put your we're artisanal awards don't matter like punk rock vibe <laughs> that's just not true yeah. people do care about it and it does register um so it does have a big impact thank you thank you for, for, for sharing that being candid in that regard uh so here, here's the last real question i got for you um so when, when we go into like the these sort of leadership roles and having just you know kind of being a face being attached in this way of you know, you're, you're in a leadership role. Tell me about certain lessons that you've learned in maybe previous roles and previous experiences um, in your career or even education that you're like, I don't know if that's how that works in practice. Like, you know, people say these old adages, it takes money to make money. Sure. But I think it, this is really what it is. Or there's um, there's uh, it's not uh, it's, it's business, never personal, what have you. But then we have this kind of work stoppage thing that happens and mm-hmm. people are leaving because they don't feel like 
seen or, or, or respected yeah. or what have you. So tell me about like those lessons that you've had to unlearn and how you, how you kind of do your business. I think the last one you said is far and away the one that is most incorrect. The, it's business is not personal. I think it's intensely personal. It's more personal than I would even want it to be, even though I'm someone who cares deeply about the personal, both in a professional sense and in, in the world. Um, you know, just wanting there to be more sure. niceness and positive energy out there in the world, especially now at this moment in time. Um, not to be Pollyannish, just more like if we could all be a little more thoughtful and think the best of each other, probably a lot of things would go better. Um, but if I can be totally honest, I find the leadership part of the job by far the most challenging. It's not that difficult for me to be a maniac to find the best logistics route to source the best billion dry goods that I want. I've been in this industry long enough. I have enough friends who also know what's what. I love that side of it. And it's not like, oh, I wake up and I just magically find these things, but but I can do that. That's just, that's in my toolbox. Um, and that's a relatively concrete thing. I find the personal side of things, making sure your customers and your employees feel heard and respected and um, making sure they know that, that you're actually thinking of them when you make the actions yeah. that you make. I find that the hardest thing because it's one thing to actually put the thought in that that takes time and effort and emotional energy. But sure. it's a very it's a frustrating truism in life that it, the thought honestly doesn't really count at the end of the day if the person doesn't can't see that or can't feel that it doesn't matter how much I've thought about the weekly schedule or my regular customers, the thing that will, the product that will make them think of their summer home that they haven't gotten to in a while. If I don't tell them or I don't show them that I've done that. Um, and there's that, lightly performative aspect to the to to business and public life that is challenging um, and I think it's a thing that a lot of people struggle with because it's difficult to first of all it's difficult to read other people's minds in a certain way right and there, there's this this level of, mm -hmm. of getting understanding what the other person is thinking that's just inherently challenging or certainly I find it challenging I won't necessarily speak for other people um, and then there's the, uh, the, that, that performative aspect is, is very hard because it also has to seem or actually be genuine. And so kind of threading that needle of doing the performative thing to show kind of show your work, as they would say, like in you know middle school math class, you don't always yeah. want to do that. It, it can have a feel like a weird ego thing, but actually over time I've come to realize Oh, you're not stroking your own ego and showing how great you are. You're trying to show them that you are caring. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I personally find that Absolutely. to be a real challenge in business, and um, I've definitely I think that it that you always got to understand that on a certain level, no matter what you want, it always actually is personal, and that can be deeply frustrating, but it's just true. And so the best thing that you can do is yeah you, yeah you got to keep in mind what is right for your store and your employees and your customers and you sometimes have to make hard decisions to disappoint people but if you're willing to explain that 
to the people who you're making those decisions on behalf of or kind of sometimes against in a certain way, you know, when you're not buying this new wine or you're not picking up this product or you're discontinuing a product that, that, that some customers have loved and others have not loved. You just have to be very honest about the thought that went into that and your understanding that it won't please everyone, but your responsibility is to do what you think is best at the end of the day. 100%. And thank you for, thank you for sharing that. I, I think, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm on the same page with you. Yeah. Um, so with that, I, I think that's a good place for us to stop with the, 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 the real portion. And let's get into the director's cut portion oh. of this uh, interview. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so with, with these questions, don't overthink them, don't overthink them, sure. don't overthink them. I like to give people that preface. Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm going to start with something kind of kind of easy or what have you. Uh, what would be your weapon of choice in the zombie apocalypse? I'm going to go, even though I've literally never held one, I'm going to go size because I just love Raphael from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay, we, we, we might we, we might have to, we might have to be boys now because that was that was a very great answer. Uh, favorite cartoon growing up is just segue at this point. Oh sure, okay. My favorite cartoon is this obscure cartoon called Galaxy Rangers because my father and a colleague of his wrote the music to it, and it's one of the main nice. things we had on VHS. If you've never seen it, it has a very badass eighty theme written by my father, but also. <laughs> It's this in retrospect now, seeing it for what it is, it's this hilarious, <laughs> weird mix of literally space cowboys, like they ride robot horses, Jeez. but also like bootleg X Men, <laughs> like redheaded psychic smart oh, no. guy, except in a quasi racist 80s thing, instead of having blue skin, it's just that he's black, but he's good at like computers and he's a genius. <laughs> And then they have the overly stern leader guy. Instead of shooting beams out of his eyes, he has a beam cannon out of his bionic arm, but he's very gruff and no and like stern Cyclops energy. And yeah. then there's the wild card guy who was a super soldier. He <laughs> does have a healing factor. He doesn't have claws. He can just adapt to whatever environment he is, but somehow that almost always turns into claws. Oh my god. So, yeah, it's, that it's, is, it's really good. I, I I did a deep dive on these kind of like the like pretty much everything is streaming, so you're kind of like looking for certain things. And I like to go obscure, and I don't know if you remember this, but I think we we're in the same age group, so you've probably seen this. Uh, Exo Squad. Oh, it, yeah, it is so mid, and I went through it. And I was like, yo, this is this is bad. This is not good. Oh yeah. Who, who thought this was good? It, it, they tried to be fake woke too, because everyone has a yeah. ridiculous like ethnic their 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 um their bios like he's an Israeli blah blah blah. This person's Irish. And I was like, who cares? They, they're in mech suits. That's all I'm here for. Yeah. The question is, which one of those was fake woke earlier, Exo Squad <laughs> or Captain Planet? I it, I feel like it brings bootleg <sighs> Captain Planet energy for sure. Absolutely. But that might be wrong. So here's the next one I got for you. Um, which fortune fortune do you wish to get in a fortune cookie? I mean, I always like a non-fortune fortune. fortune. <laughs> um, but I mean, if we're getting an actual fortune, I frequently want the one that's like food related, where it's like, later you will be happy with what you ate. And <laughs> joke kind of about how good the restaurant is. That's probably what I want. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I got, I got a couple more here. Uh, what is the best pun you can think of? You seem to be a guy with a good sense of humor. So uh, what's the best pun you can think of? Oh, I mean, I'm very juvenile and my wife's a geologist. So I really <laughs> always love joints relief stress. Oh, my which God. Which is an actual road sign that you see. <sighs> my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> I, I like puns uh and i'm not a dad but i'm getting closer and closer to that stage where it's just like mm, you're, you're losing your coolness quotient you're just gonna <laughs> just it's just gonna be puns and dad jokes for the next like 30 years oh yeah oh yeah i i hear i heard that we are often as good at or better than what we do in the day-to-day in our kind of side projects. Like we are doing very well in the side missions. Do you have a side project that you kind of spend time in that you're like, you know what, maybe one day I could do this as my full-time thing? Um, well, I have a side project I considered and but kind of discarded. I know I'm good at it, but I've realized don't actually want to do it really for money, having done it briefly for money, which is making jam. Um, I love making homemade jam. I've been doing it for about, uh, let's see, a little more, more than a decade now. So uh-huh. I make jam, and then with the leftover fruit, I make weird alcohol things out of it. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I do think I'm quite good at it. But, yeah, doing it at scale for money is not fun. No, no. Well, that's kind of it as far as like the real questions. Um, did you have any you know, of the, the, the rapid fire questions? Did you have any questions for me before we kind of wrap up here and uh, get into uh, the shameless plugs and such? Sure. I mean, as long as we're going deep dive cheesy cartoons, I always <laughs> want to ask people uh, Thundercats or Silverhawks. Ooh, you pulled out Silverhawks. I love Silverhawks. I had a Japanese import of it at one point. That's a, that's a minority opinion, I think. But, <laughs> but I like it. I mean, they had when when they got to those later seasons with Hot Wings and he was black. I was like, no, I think I'm all set here. I think I'm all good, guys. But uh, you know, classic Copper Kid, and I didn't know what a mime was. I was like, yeah, I'm here for it. This is weird, and yeah, Monstar. You know, '80s hair with uh, the guitarist chick that was part of the Monstar gang. Great, just yeah. right, chef kiss. So with that, I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast and kind of chopping it up with me, talking little cartoons, talking a little cheese. And um, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check you out in uh, social media and in person. So the floor is yours. Sure. So uh, again, stores Firefly Farms Market in person. You can see me there uh, at least Tuesday to Saturday, but everyone who works there is pretty fantastic. Uh, We're at 3300 Clipper Mill Road in Whitehall Mill. We are, man, I literally always forget our Instagram handle, even though I'm the one who runs it. <laughs> uh, we, let's see. Uh, we are Firefly Market Baltimore on Instagram. We also have a little separate one for the wine. That's Firefly Farms Wine. If you want to look at my personal Instagram, it is public. It's not fun. It's mostly children's photos. I post about three times a year now. It's just Jay Galston check it out sometimes not it's not cool at all (laughs) (laughs) so so there you have it folks i want to again thank jesse galston from firefly farm market firefly market baltimore for coming on to the podcast and spending a yarn with me and i'm rob lee saying that there's food and just just great vibes in and around baltimore you just gotta look for it 